0: Well, hello and welcome to the Ethan Callison Sermons Podcast. My name is Ethan, and I am thankful for you listening in here. Uh, Today, this message I gave at Fellowship Community Church located in Roanoke, Salem, Virginia, at our north campus, the campus that I oversee. Uh, We're going to be diving into the scriptures, looking at um, where we see this, I'm going to call it a healthy rhythm of life that God designed us to work and to rest. And that is his design. And when we live outside of that design, we experience the ramifications of the brokenness from that uh, due to the fall of mankind. So I hope you enjoy it and enjoy today's message, the, A Healthy Rhythm of Life. Uh, we're going to do things a little bit different this morning. Uh, we're going to change it up a little bit. I know it's uh, October, so we have baseballs in the, uh, the height of the postseason. So we're going to throw a little change up this morning. Uh, we sung one song. I'm going to jump into some teaching, then we're going to respond in some worship uh, after we're done with this this morning uh, with the teaching. Uh, what I'd love for you to do is open up your scriptures uh, to 2 Thessalonians here this morning. And as you're, uh, as you're flipping there, uh, about a year ago, I, uh, I had some work done. Matt Cantrell, uh, who goes here to the North Campus, uh, ha- he and I worked on, uh, on my, my wonderful car. I love my car. It smells like a man. Like, <laughs> Katie doesn't like riding in it. She won't ride in it because it just smells. And uh, it's a beater. Uh, Genevieve likes riding in it, but she often will tell me, uh, dad, you need a new car. It's like, okay. No, I'm, I'm good, honey. And uh, anyway, so we were working on my car. I had to replace my brakes three times in a really short period of time uh, due to a faulty caliper on the front end. Uh, and I didn't realize this, but my brakes were like always engaged. And I was like, well, how am I going through all these? So i replaced cal- anyway, so Matt and I were working on the car and how many of you've ever replaced your own brakes? Raise your hand. Cool, quite a bit of you. So I've replaced my brakes quite a few times, obviously, on, on that, on my Jeep, on, uh, on other vehicles I've had. But I've always used the old brake pad and a C-clamp to push the caliper back in, or to, uh, yeah, to push the caliper back in. And, uh, and Matt, so I went to, I was like, hey, man, can, can, I, can I get a C-clamp? He's like, what do you need a C-clamp for? And I was like, well, to, to push the caliper back in. And he was like, well, here, use this. And he handed me, it's called the, the brake pad spreader. You ever heard of one of these before? Like, man, this thing is slick. So you put this bad boy in here, and it, like, pins against one side of the caliper, and you spin it. It works the same principle, but it just is a whole lot more efficient. Like, you're not, like, you know, doing that thing where you're trying to hold the pad. You're trying to hold the C-clamp and, like, use your teeth to, like, turn it just a little bit to get it tight enough so it's holding on there. It's centered so you don't score the inside of that cylinder to mess it up and all that stuff. So you just slap it in and get it out. Well, in this, what normally would be like, you know, most of us think 40 40 minutes and I'm done with the break job, right? And then 120 minutes later, you're like, "Whoa, that was a fast 40 minutes. And in this, it, it took 40 minutes for us to change four sets of brake pads. It was super slick. It also helps, like when I was growing up, uh, my dad had an air compressor, so we had pneumatic to take off the lug nuts and just, and well, I don't have that, so I use what the car comes with, and I'm like, just old good old you know, elbow grease and a little strength and back all five of those lug nuts off, pop the tire off, and away we go. But uh, Matt had a nice cordless impact. It It was like, man, this is nice. When you have the right tools, a job becomes a whole lot easier. It just does, right? Like if you have the right tools for the job, a hard job becomes a whole lot easier. And one of the areas in our life that I think we are making it harder by using the wrong tools for the job is the rhythm of our life. It's the rhythm of our life. So today I want us to look at a healthy rhythm of life. Oftentimes when we look at our life, when we look at the rhythm, God designed us, what we're going to see in scripture here today, God designed us to work and to rest. Can you all say that with me? God designed us to work and to rest. And that's the rhythm that he designed us to work in. And when we're abiding in that, and when we're in that rhythm, we're using the right tools for the right job, which takes a hard job and makes it easier. And that hard job is living this life. And when we work and we rest and we find that rhythm, life becomes a whole lot easier in the sense of we find this Uh, this rhythm. So oftentimes we try to use the wrong tools, right? We put, we try to like use the C clamp and the brake pad, which gets the job done, but it's not the most efficient, most effective, or the best way to do it. And so sometimes when we look at work and rest, what we'll try to do is we'll try to work more. And we think if I just work more, then I'll be more fulfilled and live a more fruitful life. So let me just work more. Some of us do this um, because it is an escape from our house. Some of you in this, you're like, yeah, like I actually find myself, like I don't like being at my house, I don't like being home, whether it be the situation between you and your spouse, you and your kids. So it's like you just dive deeper into work because it's an escape from quote-unquote reality for you. Some of us w- will dive into work more because at work, we feel validated. Our work brings us fulfillment, which is a good thing. God designed us to work, but when that becomes the idol of which we're pursuing or we are receiving our value in it, work then instead of being used to worship becomes that of which we do work less, worship our work. So some of us try to work more then some of us try to work less. It's like, I just, I just don't want to be at work. I want to punch the clock, get my 9 to 5 in, and then get out of there and be home. And I don't want to do anything while I'm at work. And I've often heard it said, you've probably heard this before, no one ever quits a job, they quit a boss. It's like I don't want to be around my boss. I don't want to be around this team. I'm not fulfilled in what I'm doing, so I'm just punching the clock nine to five, just to get on to get, get on with my life. Now I'm a, I'm a country music fan. You can judge me for that. I'm totally fine with that. Uh, but a lot of country music, you either love it or hate it for the exact same reasons. You either love and hate, love it because it sings about having fun and your dog and your wife and a train and a truck, and you're like yeah, man, I love that stuff. Or you hate it because it sings about a dog and a train and a truck and living life, like, that's just country music. Well, there's a, there's a song right now out uh, by Chris Jansen, uh, one of Katie and I's uh, favorite art, artists, uh, and it's like, uh, we're working until five to get started at six. And some of us, that's the life we live. Like, I just work till five because my real life actually begins at six when I get off and I can go do what I really want to do. So we view work as an obstacle that prevents us from encountering and experiencing a fr- fulfilled and fruitful life. And some of us want to work less, not because really that, but it's just because we're lazy. It's like, I just don't want to work. Like, I just want to be idle. And we're going to see what scripture says about that. And then some of us uh, work for the sense or for the sake of going on vacations. Like, I'll work Monday through Friday, so I'll have a mini vacation starting at 6 on Friday through the weekend, and then I'll work and save up all my money to go on one vacation, two vac- whatever it is, the vacations throughout the year, and that's really what I am working for. I'm working for this vacation. If I didn't have to work and I could just live on a vacation, I would do that. You have a misconstrued view of theology of really, or it's just the job that you're in, and it's like, hey, this is not healthy. Kerry Newhoff, he says this. He says, your time off can't save you if the problem is how you spend your time on. Your time off can't save you, so that 6 o'clock on Friday through Sunday, can't save you if the problem is how you spend your time on. So what we're going to see in Scripture today, what we're going to see, what I hope that we see today, is God has designed us in a certain way. And when we live in that design, We are fulfilled and we're fruitful and we get to live that out and experience life like no other. So we teach here at Fellowship Community Church. We teach in our Next Steps class as well as what we would say evangelism. I don't want you to get scared by that word. But our evangelism classes, which is how do we share our faith with people and give them the opportunity to respond to the gospel. We share it with what we call the three circles. Very simple. It is three circles. Y'all are brilliant. So it starts off when we do this, as we start, we say, hey, look, this is how God designed us. When we look in Genesis chapter one and two, this was God's design for humanity. Then in this, Adam and Eve, they lived inside of God's design. It was all perfect. It was holy. It was good. It was all this. But then in Genesis chapter three, we see where, where the fall in this steps into mankind or sin enters into the world. And that leads to uh, the brokenness that we experience. And brokenness is the second second circle. And in this, God designs, we're going to see, God designed us to work. But when we're not working in a faithful and fruitful way, we live out in this brokenness. Our sin enters in, we either make God our idol, or we work from work, or we we try to get away from work, and we experience this brokenness. But when the gospel steps in, when Jesus steps in, we get to repent and, and believe that Jesus died for us. He came to this earth, lived a perfect and holy life. And that's where the gospel, that's the third circle. The gospel completely changes us. And then from then on, our entire life is recovering and pursuing back to God's design. How did God design us? And what we're going to see here for a rhythm of life, God designed us for work and for rest. That's what we're going to see here in the, the word. So when we're going to look at this, we're going to see uh, two things: work and rest. The first is this: Well, we're, we're either going to work or we're going to toil. I'm going to break these down a little bit. A lot of these principles I got a couple years ago from this book uh, called The Tech Wise Family by Andy Crouch. He talks uh, a little bit about work and rest in these other two terms I'm going to use here. So that's where I got some of these ideas from. Great book if you want to purchase it. If you didn't get the name, don't come see me after the services. Um, Work is this. Work is the fruitful labor. Work is fruitful labor. Uh, Even when you think of that, Sometimes we can labor about something, and it be a good thing that we not actually see the fruit of it for a long time to come. Then there's some work that has pretty immediate results, like, hey, I work, and then I see this result. So a couple weeks ago, Carrie Roth posted on Facebook that she loved to watch her husband, Jason, power wash the sidewalk. And that is a very tangible way to see the fruit of your, has anybody power washed before like a sidewalk? And it is. Carrie's it's, it's like, yeah, i watched watch it. I love to loved watch it. It's a very rewarding experience. Immediately, it's immediate response. You get immediate fruit for your work. And then there's some things that you can, you can really labor and labor and labor, but you don't see the fruit of your labor for a long, long time. And I would even say biblically we see this, maybe not until we enter into eternity that we see the fruit of our labor. But ultimately, biblical labor is fruitful work, uh, or fruitful labor. So here we see in Genesis chapter 1 that God models what this looks like for us. In Genesis chapter 1 we're going to see that he creates the earth and he creates all things and it creates the universe is everything in six days. And after each day he, he rests and he reflects. We're going to get into that a little bit. Uh, but he, he works he rests. He works he rests. He works he rests. Get, kind of get the theme that God sets for us. And then so He model or this rhythm for us. And then he gives us this mandate for us to work. And he says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Work is a good thing. God designed us to work. That is what we are to do. Now in this, if you already turn turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 6 here. Uh, and we're going to see where when Paul writes to this church, we just went through a big series through the book of 1 Thessalonians. This is really interesting. Um, so Paul writes to the church in the first letter, and then he gets a report back from his first letter to them. And they pretty much responded and said, well, we really didn't understand what you were saying in 1 Thessalonians. So can you kind of tell us again? Uh, between that and the people who are reporting back to Paul said, Paul, they didn't really receive what you said first. So you kind of have to say this again. Uh, and really one specific thing that we see in Second Thessalonians that he really, really hits is this idea that the people were not working and waiting on Jesus to return for his second time. So they stopped doing everything. They stopped working and they just were waiting and waiting and waiting for Jesus to return. So in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, Starting in verse 6, Paul says this. This is why we work. He says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, which is is also laziness, and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. And this tradition is to work. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle When we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would not give, we would give you this commandment. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Verse 11, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So in this, what we see is Paul's getting as the theology of work. You are to work so that you can provide for yourself and your family so that you're not a burden to someone else. It is an act of worship that we work. It's really interesting. I have this incredible software that I use for for my uh, reading and studying God's Word. It's called Logos. Uh, It has incredible tools, incredible uh, resources that I use. So one of the things I can do is I can search like any word, whether it be Greek, Hebrew, or in the English, and it'll pull it up any and every time that it appears in Scripture, and I can see all these connections and things. So one of the disconnections that I personally made that I think many of you probably have made as well is when we read Scripture, and like even in this text, it says that we're to do good works— we associate that good works with like helping a person out, doing a good work. Hey, I did a good deed. I did a good work for this person. I helped this person return their cart to the, the shopping cart at the grocery store. I helped this elderly person with the, the housework. I helped this widow. You know, We think of that as good works. But as I did, a, did just research on the word works, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, one of the things that light bulb just went off in my head was when we look at this, this writing that Paul has specifically, Is this association with good works isn't good deeds that you do, but rather the work that we do here on this side of glory? And it was just interesting. I was like, man, like our work is to be good because that's the biblical mandate that God sets for us. How we are to live is to work and to rest. So let us work for His glory in all that we do. So He gives us, He gives us this mandate, He gives us the why we work. And work is to be worshipped and not to be worshipped. So we have this work. Work is fruitful labor. The opposite of this that can seem very close at times is to toil. And toil is fruitless labor. It's fruitless labor. So we're going to see here in Genesis chapter 1, after every time uh, each day that God worked He's going to reflect upon his day and see. Because I even talked about like sometimes we work and we don't see the fruit of our labor. But then there's often times that we uh, will kind of put along in the day or we'll procrastinate and we'll do things that seems like work, but really we're avoiding work, right? So there's a guy on social media. He likes picking uh, picking on con, uh, construction workers. He has these hilarious videos. I like one of them is like what a construction worker does when they go into the gas station every morning. It's like go pick up three monsters, you know, five lottery tickets, pack of cigarettes, and a breakfast sandwich. It's like that's their lifestyle every single morning and such. so One of them is like here's how you work on a construction site and not get anything done for the whole eight hours, but still get paid for it. And he's like you, know, you wear your tool belt, you wear your hard hat. It's like you have to have a look on your face. As if you're looking for something and you're doing something. So, again, you just pace around the job site and you're as it, it's like, oh, yeah, where's that? I'm you know, just like looking around. Like, like, I'm not really doing anything, but I'm kind of looking for something. People won't engage with me. They're not going to ask me to do it because they think I'm looking for something, but I'm really not looking for anything. Well, that's toil. You're doing nothing, you're accomplishing nothing, and your boss hates you because you don't have any fruit to show for your work that you've done for the day. And it's like, why well, are you doing? Now, that's a construction worker, but there's some of us that either set our jobs or whatever we do, and all we're doing is toiling, and we don't have work to show for our work. God designed us not to toil, but to work. And imagine this. Imagine if every single person, because one of the reasons why we work is to build up the community, to build up people around us. Imagine if all of us did nothing. Like you just wake up and you just sat there. You didn't do anything. Think of like the movie WALL-E, you have all these people and the robots are doing things. We don't have the robots to do things for us. So even the, this, in the first year that I went to Nepal a couple years ago, I, uh, we pulled up on one of the safe houses that we, we helped sponsor. And sitting there on the front porch of the safe house is, uh, is this water filter system that we as FCC had installed in another safe house four years prior to that. So when we show up to it, uh, and one of the things that we were gonna do at this safe house was fix the existing water filter system in the building. So we pull up to it and we're like, hey, why is this water filter system just chilling out here? Like, They didn't realize it, but like, that's a $5,000 water system just chilling out here and they said, uh, well, it was in the other safe house, and you know, two weeks, when y'all were installing it, shortly after you installed, the earthquake hit Nepal, and we closed that safe house down, so we brought that filter system over to this building. We were like, okay, well, has it been sitting there for four years? Yep, it sure has been. And we're like, what, are you kidding like, the thing's been sitting out in the sun and the rain and all this for four years. And we're like, okay, well, the water filter system inside, what's, what's going wrong with it? And they're like, we don't know. It just doesn't work. And we're like, okay, well, we left you with a manual of maintenance that you have to do X you know, so often. And we, if you didn't like the manual, we gave you a DVD that showed you step-by-step instructions of when and how to do all the maintenance. Have you done any of that? And they're like, Nope, but it doesn't work. It's your fault. It's like, why are you kidding me? Like, no, we did it. Like, do we need to fly over here every six months to, to maintain your water filter systems? Which That might actually work better. But in that culture, maintenance doesn't happen. So then what happens? Everything begins to deconstruct, begins to fall apart. We were created to work. If we don't work, it's going to go to utter chaos, God designed us to work. So here in Genesis chapter one, we see that God, he creates things and then he reflects upon his day. So you don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to read a few or read all of these off to you so you can see what God did. So in Genesis one, this all is in chapter one, in verse three, uh, God created the lights and it said, God saw the light and it was good. In verse 10, he separated the water from the land and he says that God saw it and it was good. In verse 12, he made the plants and the vegetations. And after he did so, it said, and God saw that it was good. In verse 19, he separated the night from the, or the light from the darkness and created night and day. And in verse 19, it says, and God saw that it was good. In verse 21, after making the creatures in the water and the birds in the, in the air, it says, and God saw that it was good. In verse 25, after he made all land creatures, he reflected upon his day, and he says that God saw that it was good. And then on that same day, he created humans, and it says in verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. At the end of each day, God reflected and remembered and looked at what he had created, and he said, it is good. Good. Even if this is the only thing that you begin to do, because I think one of the ways that we can separate between work and toil and our fruit and fruitlessness is to, at the end of every workday, is to take the last 15 minutes and pause and stop and just say, God, what did I accomplish today? What was it that I did that was for your glory here in my job today? And then recount and reflect and think about it. Maybe even journal a little bit of it down and say, God, because you gifted me with this, this is what I got done And just to think about it and thank God for that. And to see some some labor, that you don't see some fruit of your labor. Maybe that's just one thing that you do this week from this message. So in this, we see this this pattern that God sets before us. Uh, And I think if we reflect on on our days, we will begin to see the fulfillment of God's mandate for us to work. Uh, In 2020, since 2020, there's been this term that's kind of come out called the Great Resignation. Anyone ever heard of the Great Resignation? So since 2020 has started, uh, over 20% of people, they're they're estimating 20% of people since 2020 have changed their job at least one time that they're resigning from one job and starting another. So this study I found not related to this, this message, but it fit, fit very well uh, of why that people were changing jobs. And it's not that it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just, hey, we have to realize that this is what's going on, kind of analyze it and see what does that change, and then make a plan of action from there. So in this, uh, they, they asked people who had changed jobs since 2020, why was it that you changed your job? And here were some of their, their answers. of people said the reason why they changed their job was a financial decision. One job offered more money than the other job. Okay, well, you can't can't really argue against that at certain times. 69% of people, certainly 2% less, said they changed jobs because they believe the job they're going to is going to bring them more fulfillment than the job they were previously at. See this work toil, being fulfilled in what they're doing? 66% said that the reason why they changed jobs is because they believed the next job that they were going to, they could be more true to themselves in that job. 60% said it was about teamwork. The reason why I went to that company was because they have a better teamwork atmosphere and I really want to work better together with others. I thought that was interesting because I see our culture going the opposite. Let me do my job, I want to be a part of it, I just want to accomplish what I'm designed to do and I don't care about the rest of humanity. But really, it's like, no, I want to be a part of a team. I think we see that's because people are longing after the community with with one another. The same stat, 60%, said that they want it to be more creative and innovative in their new job. And this job provides them that opportunity. This is so cool. That's part of the creation mandate. Because after God created Adam Adam and Eve, he told Adam, he said, I need you to go out and I need you to name all of the animals that I have now created. So he heard the cow moo, and he said, "That's a cow." Don't know why, but he did. Even this, I'll kind, of, I'll kind of talk about this a little bit. We are created to be creative beings, and if you asked me six years ago, Ethan, are you creative? I'd said absolutely not. I have no creative abilities, gifts, because I'd have thought it was like art, like, And you do not want to see my drawings. Like stick figures are a challenge to me. And so in this, but what we see is God created each of us to be creative because he is a creator and we're to imitate that. And I think this is nothing against school systems, but I think what the school system has done is created a box that people have to live in. And if they don't fit the mold of that box, then that student brings no value or worth to society and therefore they are subhuman. I'll, I'll kind of prove it with this. I heard a high school uh, teacher sharing this story about a student he had. This isn't local here to Roanoke. He said, I, was, I had a senior in my class. I was brand new to the school. And the senior walks into my class, and he's like, I'd heard about this student. Like, y'all know about, about this student. They didn't want to do their work, did not make good grades, were disengaged in the class. So he said, we we're about halfway through the school year, and he hadn't turned in any work, wouldn't accomplish any homework, did horrible tests and all this. So he went up to the student one day, and he just said, hey, man, like, why don't you want to even participate in class? And he's like, I just don't like school. He's like, I can understand that. So then what do you like? Like, what, do you, what are you doing? Because I can see you're doing something while I'm teaching. What are you doing? He said, so he pretty much opened up a portfolio for him. And it was littered full of incredible pencil art. He's like, dude, this is incredible. Like, you have an incredible talent here. What do you want to do for a living? He's like, dude, I want to be a tattoo artist. I've known that since the sixth grade. And this is not, I'm not telling high school, middle school students to do this, but the teacher said, then why are you here? Don't finish school. If you know that you're gifted and talented, drop out of school, get your GED and go be a tattoo artist. He said, it's been 10 years since that student dropped out, got his GED and was a tattoo artist. He's still a tattoo artist and is flourishing. Why? Because our school system said you couldn't make the grades. You didn't do good on tests. You weren't interested in this. You are subhuman. You don't have value in this society we are in. No, he did. School just wasn't for him. God created us to be creative, innovative people. And our society will try to say, this is who you are to be. If you're not, you bring no value or worth to this this world. 58% of people that they change, this was wild to me, they changed jobs because they wanted to exceed the expectations that their job responsibilities had for them. AKA, they wanted to do more work than they were being asked to do. (laughs) Couldn't believe that. Then 50% said, I I changed jobs simply because I want to choose when I work. I want to have flexible hours. 47% say, I want to choose where I work from. I want to be able to work remotely and from home and all that. When we look at all this, I think that we're seeing here is that people are changing jobs, they're leaving jobs because they're not being fulfilled or fruitful in their job Because they're toiling rather than working. And when we work the way that God has designed us, we will experience fulfillment and fruitfulness. So we have this work versus toil. The second thing we see is we're designed to work and then we're designed to rest. So we have this rest versus leisure. So we're gonna look at rest. Rest is restorative to us. Let me ask you this by a show of hands. How many of you want rest? Like I desire rest in my life that's majority of you. Do you know what the biblical term for rest is? Sabbath. Sabbath. Now, if I said, how many of you want to practice Sabbath? You're like, nope, I don't want to do that. That means I'm, being unf- I'm not being fruitful in my life. I can't do anything. No, Sabbath is rest. So what we're going to see is, is we're to be restorative, to restore ourselves. Uh, there's a, many a text that I could Pulled out in Exodus and Genesis about this, but this one just really hits the nail on the head. In uh, Exodus chapter 31, uh, it's when the building of the tabernacle and the institution of that the Holy Spirit would give certain people certain gifts. But we see this text here. In verse 15 of chapter 31, it says, Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath and solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, shall be put to death. That's a pretty strong uh, discipline for working. You're going to be killed because you're working. In verse 16, "...therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever." It is a sign forever between me, who is God, and the people of Israel, that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth. It's referring back to Genesis 1 and 2. And on the seventh day, he, was re- he rested and was refreshed. There's two things I kind of want to pull out here is, is this. One is when we look at the Old Testament, many of the laws had ramifications for breaking them. Very few of them was the ramification to be put to death. And breaking the Sabbath is one of them. When you look at if you were to kill a person, usually the ramifications for killing a person, you could possibly get killed in that. But usually it was you were sent off to what's called a refugee city anymore. But it's to where you're to go to live in as a refugee and you can't be involved in this community anymore. But if you break the Sabbath, if you're working on the holy day, you will be killed. I don't know exactly why God put this as the law, but my hunch, my suspicion is, is he's saying that if you're working continuously, you're going to eventually die. So I'm gonna go ahead and put you out your misery right now because you've misconstrued what work is. Work is for our benefit to rest. It is good. And the second thing I want us to see from this text, because it says that when God rested on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. God is infinite and all powerful. Meaning, he did not need the Sabbath to be refreshed and to be re-energized, but yet he did it as a model for us to follow. He doesn't need it. God is all power. He's infinite. He never gets depleted. He never runs out. He did it for us to say, if God did it, that's the way that I'm to do. That's the design. God's design for us to work and to rest. So, how are we to be restored? Uh, we're to first restore our bodies. You were created to work six days and rest on the seventh. So let me ask you this, how many of you feel tired or fatigued this morning walking in here? It's okay, you can say, I feel tired and fatigued. Now let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you unplugged for an entire day and rested? I almost would bet money that there's a connection between the two of them. Because we want to say, God, I want to be active and experience all these things in life. But God says, I know, and I've designed you, and here's how you do. Here's how you experience life to the fullest. Work and rest. Uh, many of you know that I've been on a, a weight loss journey for a couple, uh, almost a year and a half now. And one of the things that I have found to be the most beneficial thing to, to losing weight and living a healthier physical life is my intake and what I eat in my sleep. You might be like, Ethan, this is, I can't do that. I average seven and a half hours of sleep a night. And when I look, when I'm doing well as my body is when I'm getting more rest. When I start breaking below that seven to six hour range, I feel more tired. I don't, my, one of my goals is to lose weight. I stop losing weight a bunch of other markers kind of go hand in hand. I can still eat the same, I can still being work, have been working out the same, but because I'm not allowing my body to be restored, my body is not being rested, therefore it begins to work against itself. Why? Because that's God's design for our body. Now, I'm, each of you are different. I, had, I, had a, I have a friend that he sleeps four hours a night and work, It is perfectly fine. I'm like, dude, you're crazy. Like, absolutely not. That's, that's how his body works. It might be different from you. Um, and then in this, there were some studies that came out. I don't know if y'all remember this, but back in the 70s uh, and early 80s, and there was a book called The Three-Hour Week. Anybody ever remember hearing about that? So there was a prediction, like, no, no one, one person. Thank you, TJ. Uh, they had predicted by the early 2000s that the work week in America would be one three-hour day, and that would be accomplished enough for a 40-hour workweek. Well, that didn't happen. And then some recent studies have came out that said that you're more productive working 35 hours a week than you are working 60 hours a week. Think about that. Somebody who works 35 hours a week gets more done fruit than one who works 60 hours a week. Why? Because instead of Working, they're toiling. They're not allowing their bodies to rest. So we restore our body. The second thing is we restore our soul. Uh, we see this biblically here. Uh, many of us always assume the Sabbath is a uh, restore of the soul. It's not just the soul. It's the body we see here. Later we'll see its relationships. But we're to restore our soul. Daily, weekly, yearly, every seven years, and then every seven, seven years, or 49 years. This is what we see biblically. I don't have time to get into all this, but every single day. That's why we believe in Jesus every day. You're to be restored and refreshed every day by the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life to live out Jesus every day. That's how he has designed us. We're to be connected into him, not just once a week, but every day. And then once a week, we are to gather as the body of believers in corporate worship. It is a biblical thing that we see here that is what's best for mankind. And then every seven years, we're to disengage in another way. And every, 70, every 49 years, it's called the year of Jubilee. Uh, in that, So that's how we restore our soul. And then lastly, we restore our relationships. So the gospel is always vertical, our relationship with God. And it's always horizontal, our relationship with others. So when we look at this, When we rest, we rest with others and restore our relationship with others, starting with the family. The family, those that you live with, your spouse, your kids, anyone that lives with you in your family time. And I could go a lot of different routes with that, but the one that I really want to hone in on, because I think it's the biggest bang for the buck, the best return on investment, is the dining room table. When I was growing up, because I was involved in sports so much, our dining room table was Subway. Katie picks on me because I used to eat two foot long subs from like fifth grade all the way up to the, to, to like the eighth grade. Um, not, do not recommend that. Don't, don't feed your kids two foot long subs. And about my mom and I had more meals together at Subway, I think than I ever did in my own house. And my family loves to cook. Like if you've ever seen my mom and she cooks a meal, it's like enough for 70 people. Um, but our family did not eat around the dining room table. And one of the things that Katie and I have made intentional is like, we want to have as many meals as possible with Genevieve at our dining room table. And there's just conversations and things that happen at a dining room table that is restorative, that can't happen on the go, can't happen in a car, can't happen at Subway, can't happen at McDonald's, wherever it is, it cannot happen there. The dining room table is essential for restoration of relationships within your house. Harvard University, this isn't a biblical study, Harvard University showed that regular family uh, dinners together are associated with lower rates of depression, lower rates of anxiety, lower rates of substance abuse, lower rates of eating disorder, lower rates of tobacco use, lower rates of early teenage pregnancy, and higher rates of resilience and higher rates of self-esteem in the next generation, simply by eating together as a family around the dining room table. The Family uh, Dinner Project uh, added on to this. They said all the same things above, but they said that uh, it would also benefit you by your family. Your kids will have a better academic performance. That th- their studies show it. That uh, there's a, a, a lower rates of obesity in kids. There's better cardiovascular health in teens. There's better v- vocabulary in preschoolers. And there's healthy eater- eating patterns in young adults when the family eats a meal together. Maybe your next step is to reflect each day and say, God, what is it that I was fruitful in my my work today? Maybe your next step is just to say, hey, one night this week, we're going to get the clutter off the dining room table. We're going to put our technology, our cell phones away, and we're going to have a meal together. It doesn't have to be extravagant. So many people get afraid, like, I have to have a full course meal. I have to have, like, you know, put it in fours or a meal, triangles. Make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich cut it in fours or triangles, however you like it. Genevieve likes it in squares and eat that together. Simply being around the dining room table will change the dynamic of restoration within the relationships of your family. So we have this rest. God designed us to work and to rest. We have this rest. The opposite of rest or the, the negative, the, where we see the brokenness lived out in rest is what, what's called leisure. Leisure is the fruitless escape from work. So in the 1970s, uh, this fashionable uh, piece of clothing came out called a leisure suit. How many of you, by raise your hands, owned, or maybe even today, own a leisure suit? How many of you? Yeah. So in the 70s, late 70s and early 80s, it went away pretty quickly, but the leisure suit rose to prominence, and a leisure suit was a fashionable piece of clothing, I think that's more of an opinion, not rather than a truth, but a fashionable piece of clothing that one could wear, wear the the reason why it was created, one could wear at work comfortably, and then come home and wear the same piece of clothing at the house comfortably. It's like, hey, that sounds good, right? I think this is just a, a symbol of what we did is we began to take work and bring it home. And there wasn't quite a separation between working and then being present with my family and resting with them. There became this divide here in that. So I think part of our inability to truly rest, the reason why we experience restlessness today, is our inability to escape work, to disconnect work, and to put it, put it away. So let me, let me ask you this. By raising your hands, how many of you have work email on your phone? Like this is no condemnation. How many of you have work email on your phone? All right, keep your hands raised, keep your hands raised. If you have work email on your phone. How many of you keep your hands raised if you, have, you weren't supposed to be working in the past 24 hours? Raise your hand. I mean, most of you. How many of you checked your email in the past 24 hours, your work emails? Have you been on escape from work? You, you have it. How can you experience rest if you're always engaged in work? In May, this past May, May of 2022, I read a book called um, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And one of the things he said, just do this one thing and it'll help you. He says, take work email off your phone. I remember it was scary for me. He's like, but if I take it off, like I'm going to miss an email. I'm going to be, a fire is going to happen that I can't solve. I can't resolve. Like, it was like, I can't do this. But I said, you know what, God, I'm going to do it because I feel like I need to do it. Since May of 2022, I have not had my work email on my phone. <laughs> has one fire gone so bad that the world's burned down? Has my family felt the impact of me not having work email on my phone at my house? Just ask Katie. Just ask her. Taking it off my phone has changed my ability to rest in my house. So I don't bring that work problems, those work things into my house. I'm not saying that I'm perfect at it by any means, but that one step enables us to become more resting rather than leisuring. I think the reason why we we honestly like to feel the act of restlessness is because we feel need in our work. We're needed there. We place our value, we get our value, our worth in it. Therefore, if I am needed then other people need me and I feel validation in that. I know that's, that's a lot for me, or that was a lot for me, and therefore I wanna be engaged in it. Uh, another act that the, the TechWise family really talks about uh, when it comes to leisure is how we spend our time at our, at our house in regards to technology. Uh, how that impacts the inability for us to disconnect and truly rest. And uh, one of the things that the stats that's in it, this was actually in 2022. So I looked up some more recent stats than that book. Uh, In 2022, the average person spends 147 minutes on their phone in social media apps alone. 147 minutes. Let me ask you this. When was the last time that social media brought rest into your life? Never, probably, right? I know for me, when I get into it, and I get entranced into it, my heart rate goes up, tightness in the chest. Then, then I was reading some other stats. This was in 2021, that the average person spends 180 minutes a day watching TV. Now, there might be some simultaneous, like I'm watching TV. I, I saw this video the other day. It was pretty fun. on my phone. And it was a, a dad that was, uh, had the football game on his TV but he was actually watching the box score on his phone. And the wife like me, it was like, you just bought this $600 TV. Why did we even buy that? You watch everything on your phone anyway. I thought that was pretty interesting. So you know, some of those minutes might be at the exact same time. But even in that 180 plus 147, I'm no mathematician, but I know that's over 300 minutes, which is over five hours of our day that we spend in technology that I can almost guarantee you doesn't bring rest into your life, but it's leisure. It's fruitless escape from work. So I don't think that our problem of restlessness, our problem of uh, of the inability to disconnect or to live a fruitful and, and, and fulfilled life is that we need more time. I think our problem is that we need to reorient how we spend our time at work and at rest. So let me ask you this. How do you find yourself when you're at work? Are you actually working? Are you receiving fruit from it? Are you just toiling? And how are you restoring yourself? How are you finding that restoration process for you? Are we seeking after God's done, design to work and to rest? So as the band, band comes up, the, the big main idea for today is that when, we, when our life rhythms are work and rest, I believe we see that we live a fruitful and fulfilled life.